This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. All right, welcome back to another episode of the 343 Podcast. I have my good friend Joey Cassio on the line, and we are getting ready to dissect the USU-17's performance against the Netherlands at the U-17 World Cup that was hosted in Brazil. We are about to touch on a lot of interesting topics. I usually uh, record some type of an intro before the uh, before the podcast, but uh, what I'm just going to do is I'm just going to tell you guys straight up, if you guys want more education from 343, if you guys want more information about possession-based soccer, if you guys want more information about what's going on in this country with uh, regards to youth soccer, what's going on with professional soccer. We have a ton of stuff for you at 343coaching.com. So we have over 200 written articles. We have over 200 uh, podcasts. We also offer coaching education. So we offer a free seven-week course and we have our premium coaching membership program, which is a annual program that is loaded with valuable, valuable, uh, valuable, valuable content for coaches that are looking to coach possession-based soccer and to create winning, dominant, uh, aggressive, uh, shock and awe type teams, which we are going to talk about in just a few minutes when Joey and I get into it. So you can find all of that information at 343coaching.com if you want to continue to uh, learn from and be part of the 343 community. All right. With that said, Joey, what's up? Not much, John. How do you feel about this last game? Uh, yeah, just pretty much the same thing that we saw in all three games, right? Yeah. Nothing special, nothing special. I have no idea what, what the plan was in each of the games. There's, there seems to be no clear identity as to how Wiki wanted the team to play. And from that, another uninspiring performance, nothing to be excited about. And the guys are coming home. You know what I'm I'm going to start off with Joey is I'm going to start off with a positive. I'm uh I'm ab- actually um I'm pretty happy because more people seem to seem to appear to be um waking up to this idea that we are not that good. And leading into this tournament there was a lot of hype around a lot of uh, you know certain players there was a lot of hype specifically around the coach and it seems like people have been, you know, uh, people are waking up to this idea that maybe he, he isn't all that special of a coach. Maybe this group of players isn't all that special. And so I consider that to be a positive that people are starting to see that. Yeah, I'd agree with that. We look at uh, the hype around some of the players coming into the tournament, uh, specifically those that were playing or getting MLS minutes, getting USL minutes. Uh, I off the top of my head, I know uh, Busio has MLS minutes. Leva has some MLS minutes. Uh, I think Bello has some MLS minutes. And yeah, that, that's great and all, but context matters, right? The level at which those minutes are coming at are important. And you compare that to the likes of Ansu Fati at Barcelona, uh a couple of years ago, Jaden Sancho, who was at this age, the U17 age, both those guys getting professional minutes and not they didn't even show up to the to the World Cup. So you, you look at the difference between, you know, those sets of players. And, yeah, it, it's important to understand the level at which uh, these players are getting minutes at. And just because they're getting minutes, it doesn't make them some sort of world class player. Uh, we, we have to have an understanding of the level. No, on on that note too, it's it it kind of puts it into perspective. Like, all right, Busio, you know, tons of MLS MLS minutes this this last season, uh, a regular starter, I would I would say for Sporting Kansas City, and you would expect a player with that amount of um, experience at his age, playing against you know grown men, to come in and kind of just boss the game, and there was no even you know hint of that happening from from him and and you could 
dissect it further and say, oh, it's the players around him or blah, 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 blah. But I think it's, it's, um, what's more likely is that MLS didn't properly prepare him for, for bossing a game. Um, he's not, he's not that kind of a, he's not getting that, that kind of exposure. He's not getting that kind of quality playing those, those MLS minutes. So I think that's, that's definitely one factor of it, but I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. And then looking at wiki, you know, the hype around him, uh, you know, he, he, coached in Europe uh, and you know he I, from what I know he he's never coached in America so his understanding of the landscape here is basically zero and I think that that that's important you know when you're when you're coaching in America you, you get a job here I think it's important that you have an understanding of the landscape but yeah all the hype around him and and really you know we look at the body of work across these three games and I didn't. I didn't see any sort of progress, uh, any sort of like evolvement of the team to to better deal with the opponents. It it just seemed to be the same shit each game. You know what I mean? No danger whatsoever. Uh, very, yeah. Like it, it was. It wasn't clear what they wanted to do. You know. I think each opponent that we played, you could see that they had a, a game plan. Senegal, obviously, different than Japan and Holland. Senegal sitting back and trying to pounce on the counterattack. Uh, and then Japan and Holland wanting to have the ball and being very aggressive with their possession, getting into our half. But for us, like I have no idea what we were trying to do. Um, it was unclear. And, and for me, you know, the, the coach's responsibility is to instill a, an identity in the team. So either Wiki doesn't know how to do that or he didn't get any sort of buy-in from the players. And for me, either one of those things uh, is unacceptable. And yeah, we'll, we'll see what, what happens with Wiki, but I think uh, he should be under massive pressure. Yeah, the what's the the famous the famous Mexican guy the announcer? Um, ah, what's his name? It's escaping me. Andres Cantor. Yeah, 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 yeah. He he tweeted out that you know if if Wiki had any type of you know self dignity, basically he he would resign as soon as he stepped off the plane, and he, that's almost guaranteed not to happen, right? But that's that's probably what should happen after a performance like this. Like you go to a World Cup. If you if you if you brought that to the senior level, right, and the senior the senior national team coach lost all three games in this fashion, uh, allowing eight goals, only scoring one, getting one point from three games, finishing twentieth out of twenty four teams in the tournament. If that was the senior level, you would absolutely anticipate the coach stepping down, just just like we anticipated Bruce Arena stepping down after he failed in qualifying, right? But um, but the rumors are still kind of uh, being thrown around that Wiki somehow after this massive failure is going to be promoted to U20 coach. Like that is still the rumor, which is absurd, absolutely absurd to go from this very uh, abysmal performance at the U17 level, thinking that this guy is now going to be lifted up to the next level. That is crazy talk. Absolute crazy talk. Hey, people should riot if that happens. Yeah, uh, somebody mentioned on Twitter too that there needs to be a riot at Soccer House in Chicago and that gains you know national <laughs> national news attention. I can't remember who said that, but uh, you know if that happens, if 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 Wiki gets promoted to U twenty, there should be people knocking on the door in Chicago, being like, "What the fuck is happening inside this house?" Yeah, th- there should only be one outcome, and that should be that Wiki is no longer the U seventeen coach or. Or has any part really in the national team program? It also, uh, it, it makes me wonder, and I started to, to wonder about this last night about the other people that are kind of like behind the scenes that are probably lending their their thoughts to Wiki, because like you mentioned too, you know, no no experience at the youth level in the United States, not familiar with the landscape, absolutely no reason for him to have a, a deep extensive knowledge of the player pool coming off of his time as a first team coach in, in Europe. Like why would he have been paying attention to 13, 14, 15 year old American soccer players if he was coaching in the champions league in Europe. Right. So 
no, no real need for him to have that type of experience, which makes me wonder who he gets his advice from people that, you know, are familiar with the landscape. So, you know, be it Ernie Stewart, um, be it Tony Lepore, uh, maybe some other people that have been, you know, in, in the scene for, for quite a while. So I've, I've raised this question before, like, when do those people, um, when, when do those people start to assume some of the responsibility for what has happened? And, and, you know, when is their job on the line? When is, when is Tony Lepore, the head scout, you know, when is his job on the line? Not just wikis. Yeah, we're, we're seeing a pattern, John. We're seeing a pattern, not just within a single age group, but across uh, the entire program of U.S. soccer. It's all starting to look the same. You know, the exception was recently Tabs U-20s. But other than that, you know, what we've seen from the, national, the senior national team, the U-17s, and then those who are on the fields uh, on a regular basis, seeing a lot of the DA programs and whatnot at different ages, it's all looking the exact same. And, you know, people, people can say, oh, it's going to get better. It's going to improve. From what we're seeing, it's getting worse. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's worth mentioning, worth mentioning too, that it's not just on the boys side, it's on the girls side as well. I think that the U S women's U 20 team had a pretty abysmal, uh, performance last time they they had a tournament like a meaningful tournament and that was pretty that's pretty disheart uh, yeah disheartening and um, some of the other youth girls teams are, are are not putting out the performances that that they used to that you know they're getting shocked by by some of these teams that are that are up and coming so you know it's not just happening on the boys side it's happening on the girls side as well and for the most part you know there aren't very many um, coaches in, in these positions wiki is I think the you know the only full time uh, in full full time employed youth national team coach on on either side, so it's kind of scary, kind of scary to think that. And then you know it was largely you know reported that I think Mike Waitala pointed this out in his his post mortem article that you know a large part of why Wiki was hired is because he was not only able to but willing to. Um, moved to Chicago, which was for whatever reason, one of the requirements to become a national team staff member, youth national team staff member. Um, so he, he was able to move to Chicago. Um, he had an interest in moving to Chicago apparently because of, you know, he had just mar- married an American, um, his, his American wife. I'm not going to get, you know, into the, in, into those weeds, but you know, he was able to move to Chicago. And one of the other things that was kind of largely reported is that he, really, really, really um, promoted this idea of playing the same way that Burhalter played or plays with, with the senior team. And Mike Waitola in his, in his article for Soccer America even like poked fun at that idea. It's like, yeah, you know, if that was the goal, then, you know, mission accomplished because, you know, you, you look like trash too. So, uh, <laughs> which again, and, and so I'll go back to kind of how I started, right? You know, I think that it's awesome that, you know, that Mike is writing pieces like this now. Um, I think it, it's awesome that some of the other, you know, media members have come out and, and they're able to say, you know, some negative things. I get bashed on a lot because I, I, I tend to be mostly negative with my, with my postmortems or, or, or things like that. And people don't enjoy that. They like the raw, raw stuff, but even the people that are traditionally raw, raw, uh, over the last year, maybe year and a half, two years have started to become a little bit less, um, cheerleader and more, more, um, yeah, ne- more negative. Like they're not afraid to be a little bit negative. Where before in the past they they were. So I think that that this is another positive step for for these people to kind of just unleash true feelings about how the program, not only just the U seventeens, but how the entire federation is being run. Yeah, at, at this point, <clears throat> you know, you hear the people say, you know, give it time, give it time. In my opinion, if if, if you're saying that at this point, you're you're basically endorsing things to get worse because that's the direction we're going you know it's there are no signs of things getting better at this point other than maybe some stories surrounding individual players uh and in my opinion the ones who are are positive individual stories are are ones that are leaving you know our, our domestic setup here in america and going to europe and challenging themselves 
in in being in in clubs that uh, are known for developing top top players. You know, I think I think for us as a soccer public and the supporters and whatnot, we we want to be able to see a vision, and then we want to be able to see progress towards the ultimate objective. There's not even a vision right now that people can see. And rightfully so, people should be frustrated by that. And we should be continuing to demand more. We should be continuing to wanting to see a vision. And yeah, we should be criticizing and until we see some sort of sign of that. I don't have confidence uh, in the current regime to do this. Um, so, uh, you know, I think... Yeah, I think, like you said, Mike Waitola writing about that. Hopefully others continue to do so because it, it needs to be made clear to the people running the show that, hey, you can't just pull wool over our eyes. Like, we we want to see progress. We want to see a clear-cut vision. We want to see uh, that we're moving forward. And until we do, the soccer public should be outraged. And and it's so funny that people are, are – they're always – they always accept the excuses. And one of those excuses being Wiki only had the team for X amount of months, right? Like he was only hired earlier this year. I think that's total trash because of my experience coaching youth American players, probably the same age as, as these national team guys actually, you know, and, and a lot of coaches are going to be able to relate to what I'm about to say, but you know, in a high school season or a college season, you have what three weeks for your preseason. And then you have your, your team playing competitively for, you know, two and a half months. So all said and done, you know, three to four months is, is your, is your time. Wiki had twice that with, with professional football players, guys that have professional football experience, guys that are playing for teams like Borussia Dortmund and sporting Kansas city and Seattle Sounders. And, and you're saying that that wasn't enough time to, to get this group of players to be cohesive and, and play his style of, of, of soccer and to, and to, you know, show his identity, his ideas on the field. I think that's bullshit because I can get that out of a group of high school players in a three week preseason. Yeah, that's nonsense. He had plenty of time. Yeah, so people that are accepting that idea, throw that out the window. And the same goes for Burhalter. Burhalter's little uh, trial and error experiment, and I need time, and I need this, and uh, there's only so many days in a camp. And Shut up. No, that is not an excuse. That is not good enough. We need to stop accepting that. I'm tired of it. An interesting thing, if I remember correctly, I, I'm, I might be wrong, but an interesting thing that I remember or I believe I remember, is early on, Burhalter made uh, a statement that, you know, we, we need time to develop the players. Yep. And then later on, he said, oh, it's not our responsibility as the national team to develop the players. Flip-flopped. Yeah, that, that right there is a massive red flag, you know? Like, wh well, what are you trying to do? You know, again, just kind of blowing with the wind, changing things as, as things happen. So... Yeah, man, Wiki had plenty of time. Another thing, you know, that we had already talked about, John, in, in previous episodes, but playing Proby out of position, I think, that alone um, is a decision that, that warrants consideration to get the sack. You know, like we said earlier in a previous episode, Kobe's long-term position is not center back. Uh, and to waste this tournament for him to gain experience at that position uh it was it was awful you know it was a waste for him it was the, he's not being groomed for the senior national team so that that decision alone i think warrants consideration for him no longer being the coach and 1000 percent no consideration whatsoever about a promotion yeah it, people aren't gonna uh, I don't know. People probably don't look at it like this because Kobe is a defender, right? But Kobe is the best player on the team. Um, yeah. You know, by, by far. Right. And, and they didn't think probably too much of it because he is a defender and you're moving him from left back to center back. Right. So the general public is thinking like, Oh, you know, that's, that's not that big of a deal. Right. But you're moving your best player out of his best position. And, and that had, 
massive consequences, not only for you know him as a player, but for the team too. Like, you know, his attacking strengths on that left side could have done wonders for this team. And all of a sudden you handicap the entire team because you, you played him at center back. So, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's two different, two different negative points, right? Like you're hurting the player and you're hurting the team. And so when I said, you know, people probably aren't looking at it like this because he's a center back. Imagine if they would have played Gio Reyna out of, you know, completely out of position, right? So he's an attacking player, move him into a defensive role. Move him to holding mid, right? This is an extreme example, right? Um, people would have been up in arms. If, if they would have played Gio Reyna at holding mid, people would be calling for Wiki's head. For sure, 100%. Claudio, starting with Claudio Reyna, you know? But Yeah, it, even even him playing at center forward. People are... I don't know. Yeah, he pe- didn't, no, people he didn't are chirping. Comfortable there. He didn't look comfortable there for me. 100%. And people are chirping about it. People are saying, hey, like, you know... Or, uh, Claudio, <laughs> uh, Gio's not a center forward. What are you doing playing him there? Right? Like, the, like they started to chirp up, but that's you know he's still in an, in an advanced attacking role. Imagine just handicapping him completely, like putting him in his shackles at a position like holding mid. Yeah, there there were a couple moments uh, that I remember from Kobe where he's playmaking from from center back from yep. a deep position. One of the min- one of the moments was early on, maybe like the the seventh or eighth minute, where he plays a wide ball to Scally. On the right side, Scali takes a touch and crosses into Gio Reyna, which the ball just went wide. And then there was another moment in the second half, maybe like the 50th minute, I want to say, where Kobe launches a ball to uh, Ocampo Chavez. And in the moment, uh, Sean Monaghan highlighted this, I believe, on Twitter. There, We had a 2v1 against the, the Netherlands defender. So Kobe putting, launching an attack, putting Ocampo Chavez in a great position to create something on goal. And he pulls it back on his left foot, cuts back like two or three times and allows all the Netherlands defenders to get behind the ball, get set up, and there was no longer a threat. So just, yeah, like we talked about earlier, having Kobe higher up the field and being able to create chances closer to goal and having more of a presence in the attacking third, yeah, it it, it would have given us so much more uh, than what we got in that area of the field. That 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 moment you're talking about where Ocampo Chavez, you know, pulled the ball back that that seemed to be the the trend throughout the three games for the wingers and the outside backs. Once you know they got into the attacking half, they seemed the most comfortable with stopping their progress forward and pulling the ball back and, and then resetting and recirculating, which was very disheartening through the three games that are wingers. That moment, yeah. that moment highlights decision-making. Yep. The player doesn't identify the situation that they're in. He, he's not able to see Hey, two V one, let's go at this guy. Uh, yeah. And he pulls it back. It, it's the wrong decision. So in the moment, you know, you may not see it because he has the ball. He's got the ball at his foot. But clearly, it was a 2v1. It was an opportunity to go at the defender and create something on goal. And his decision was to pull it back. And nothing came of it. But it also makes me wonder, too, Joey, if if maybe that was Wiki's instructions. Because it was the trend over three games for both wingers and both outside backs to play that more conservative style. Like they, Like, there was no... Through the three games, there were no like real attempts to take to take defenders on. It was always like trying to probe around them, and um, you know the, the the that just makes me think like maybe Wiki was telling them, you know, hey, let's get into their half and then let's try to possess in their half. Don't worry about taking them on. Let's you know let's work for possession in their half or some some bullshit like that. Yeah, that is that is possible because you're right. It was. It was a pattern across all three games. That was more often than not the decision from the wingers. And which what what's really funny too, though, is that in this game against the Netherlands, both Jason and Dobelair tried, attempted maybe twice each to to kind of take a, a defender on. And the Netherlands defenders looked like absolute beasts um, just by sticking their foot out and and. and Jason and, and Dobler looked like little boys. They went flying. Uh, all, all the all the Netherlands defender had to do is stick their foot out and stop the stop the dribble. And these guys went flying like you know like they had just you know been part of an explosion. Um, and, and it just kind of highlighted the the theme 
that was also kind of throughout the three games is that these guys are just soft. They're not, they're not, they're not prepared for, for this type of battle. And the Netherlands players that, especially the Ajax guys, um, you know, they, they were, they were prepared for battle. Japan was prepared for battle and, and especially the, the Senegal team. Like they, those guys were, those guys were down, down to battle and our guys just, they couldn't, they couldn't hack it. Yeah. For me, the best wingers in our, in our uh, entire pool, you know, obviously Pulisic and then Uli for me is, is uh, pretty close to that level. And he's the, he's the next best winger. I believe you compare, you know, Jason and uh, Dobelair to to those two, and it's not it's not even close. Uli and Pulisic are light years ahead of those two. Um, so so yeah, they they didn't have that that special quality that you like to like to see on the wing where they get the ball, they're going at guys, and and they're striking fear into the defenders' uh, eyes, like oh oh shit, here he comes, like I'm in trouble. There's none of that. There's nothing from those guys, and to stick that this is something that I also think is strange is like to stick with that. Like for me, it, it was clear. It was obvious. These guys don't have the quality uh, to really create danger against these opponents. So to stick with them all three games for me, I'm scratching my head. I don't understand it. Yeah. And, and, and I don't understand how wiki, um, you know, I guess my first question is how, how, how were these players identified by wiki as the best in the country, right? Was it him going out and find them? Is he relying on a scouting network? Is he replying or relying on, um, you know, the, the previous coach that was in his role to, to, you know, leave the pieces in place, uh, for him him to to just take over and run with it. Right. Like, I don't know how, how he came across these players, uh, to begin with. That's one question I have in my mind, but to have this group for six, seven, eight months, however long he's had them for, and to not be able to identify that these guys do not have it at this level, right? CONCACAF is, is one thing, but on the, the, the true international stage, the world stage, these guys did not have it for him to not be able to identify that in the time that he's been with this group is criminal. It's, it, you know, that, that, that is Again, I mean, we've we've come up with like a few things now, but I think this is a fireable offense for him to not be able to identify true attacking talent to the point where we only left we we left the World Cup with one point and one goal is is criminal. It's embarrassing that you know as a country we don't have we can't identify the firepower to to score more than one goal in a World Cup. Yeah, when you're identifying players, you need to have an eye for the global level. Uh, you, you kind of mentioned it, like playing in CONCACAF. Um, yeah, you, if you're having success in CONCACAF, well, that's one thing. It's completely different to be uh, competing against, you know, the entire world. Um, there was a quote I remember from Tata Martino where he he said, yeah, playing in CONCACAF is like returning to amateurism. <laughs> we have a very soft region here. So as we're building you know, our national teams and identifying the players, we, we have to have an eye for what the global level is so that we can correctly do so. And yeah, we're, we're not seeing it. You see overhyped players like we talked about. You know, we think, oh, these, these guys are great. You know, they're... They're going to really do well. And yeah, nothing, nothing from the group, nothing from the team performance. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, I kind of want to talk about some expectations about, or, or some, you know, some ideas about, you know, what, what maybe is going to happen next or what should happen next with this uh with this group of players with this coach with you know the U17s transitioning out into, U, into the U20s and things like that um i don't know unless unless you have anything else you want to kind of say about the the game against netherlands we haven't really talked specifically about the the game too much uh what one thing that i thought about was i i would have liked to see uh ko i don't know if that's how you pronounce it maybe kayo i would have liked to see him maybe get some more time on the field. I thought, you know, we, we saw him for a half basically. He was a burst of energy and you know who he, yeah. remi- who he reminded me of is when Uli came on against France in, um, in the U 20 world cup. And it was just like this, like the spark, 
And I, I felt like, you know, again, in that moment too, that, I, that when Uli came on the field, I, th- I felt like, okay, Uli would have helped this game the entire time uh, that he came on. And then when, when uh, K or Kyle, I don't know how to pronounce it either. When he came on, it led me to believe too, that, you know, it would have been nice to have him out here more often. Yeah. He seemed to uh, possess a little bit more one V one quality than the other guys. And, you know, seeing as we didn't have any danger from our wingers, I thought maybe he could have even played on the wing. And yeah, Busio for me, nothing special. He, he maybe could have played in that position more often. But uh, yeah, it, it is what it is. Um, but I think I, I'd like to see maybe what he can do going forward if hopefully he gets the opportunity to do that. Yeah, Busio was was interesting to me in this in this third game, and I and I told you before we started recording that I didn't sit down and take like copious notes like I did the last or the previous two games, but but I did have my eye on Busio, and and he was all over the place, not necessarily in a good way, but he was just like being dragged from the left to the right to you know uh, launching a counterattack, going all the way to one box, and coming having to come back and defend in the corner in the defensive half, and you know he he was all over the place and. Um, it makes it just makes me wonder about you know if he had proper wingers or better wingers you know to distribute to if that would change the way that Busio played or if he had a uh, you know a better center forward option or if he had you know better outside backs uh, that were that were producing more if if he wouldn't have to be running all over the place because him running all over the place ultimately didn't didn't help the team either and then specifically in the third game against the Netherlands it looked like he was doing double duty because Gio Reyna was doing basically zero um the, the guy was pretty much just walking around throwing his arms up in the air for the mo- for the most part so i did have a little soft spot for Busio in the third game um because he he looked like he was trying to take on more of the load than necessary but having having somebody like you know KO or or a Johnny Perez on 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 one wing or you know even Kobe at left back I think would have lessened the load for for Busio. I don't know what that means though. At the, at the end of the day, I don't know if he you know that makes him any better or worse. Yeah, the 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 collective him within a collective team identity. It, it's hard to know one way or the other. But with the ball, I, I thought Busio his decision making man wasn't great for me it wasn't great does he have potential yeah maybe he has potential but hopefully somebody can uh you know help him improve and and turn that potential into something i hope so i hope so um yeah let's uh maybe let's kind of talk about some of the expectations for for what's going to happen next with this group um I, i wrote i wrote this down that you know wiki Wiki promoted to U20 coach. Do you think that's likely or unlikely? Oof. I don't know, man. I mean, seeing as how the decisions come about over the past couple of years, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, but if it does, I think it's, it's the wrong thing. 100%. It shouldn't happen. And like I said earlier, like people should not be happy with that. They should be outraged. And it's worthy of a riot, man. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, with the with the next you know set of games and the ne- next time he's representing the national team, do you think it's likely or unlikely Kobe gets moved to left back for good? Again, you, it, it's hard to say with how if the federation has operated over the last couple of years. You know, I'm hoping that 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 is what happens because it's the best thing for the program overall and the best thing for Kobe as an individual player. And you, we look at all of these situations with dual nationals. You know, I'm not saying Kobe's in the situation, but, you know, you, you want to show love to the player. You want to show to the player that, hey, here we have a plan for you within the team context, of course. This is the plan for you. This is what we want to do for you. You... I think there has to be more love for the players. Like other players are going to look at that situation with Kobe and go, Oh, what are they doing with this guy? Like, Hey, could they possibly do that with my career? And then that has to put doubt in those players' minds as to whether, you know, this, this is where they want to be. You know, if they have the luxury of being dual citizens somewhere, I mean, 
we have to be able to show the players that we want to do what is what is best for them. And we've seen multiple examples where that's that's not the case. So, yeah, I, my hope is is that they do do that for Kobe. I think it should one thousand percent be the case. They should, but like I said, with with how that things have been going, you, you never know. Yeah. Um. The dual, the dual national thing's interesting to me too, man, because when you think about it, you know, Efra could or should have been part of this USU 17 group. And instead he's been playing for Mexico and he's, I, I, I tweeted out last night that Canada scored more goals than the USA at this U 17 world cup. And then somebody immediately pointed out that Efra scored more goals than, than USA by himself. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's very interesting and very true. Um, you know, you know, Efra, a, a dual national, wasn't treated properly by by the U.S. Federation, by the coaches when he was, you know, first brought into the program at a very young age, and um, he he found a better home. Some people people that respect him, people that that treat him well, people that believe in him and his abilities and and his strengths at the position that he wants to play or that that he's best at, and he's obviously, you know getting getting more out of that and sees more value in that than than being part of this disjointed uh project uh this ongoing project that is uh, american or that is united states soccer federation so it seems like there's just it, there's there's constant projects it's like always under a remodel it's uh frustrating and then um yeah and then we've talked about it the last couple episodes too you know johnny perez would have been an, a nice option to have for um for wing play and Johnny is playing with Mexico because U.S. soccer didn't didn't figure it out, and it leads me again to to believe that you know is Johnny Perez even on Wiki's radar, or was he on 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 Wiki's radar uh, leading into all the qualifiers, the Concacaf qualifiers, leading into the World Cup, like like when or if um, Johnny Johnny became you know part of the picture, you know why why wasn't he included? Why did Mexico get him first? Questions. Right. Yeah. Like I, like I shared, I think in our first episode covering the World Cup, you know, I watched Johnny in the DA playoffs uh, from group play to the semifinal, and he was the best winger at the U17 age group that I saw. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's crazy. Like you know, your your world class DA hashtag world class DA. Um, you're supposed to be able to identify the, those talents, right? And there he is, right in front of your face, in in your playoffs. And what Galaxy made it to what this last year? Semifinals. Semifinals, yeah. Se- semifinals. And, and and you know, he's right there in front of you, and you can't identify it. And you allow somebody yeah. to you, you allow the opportunity for somebody to come in and swoop him swoop him up. That is what do you, you know, I think we made fun of this last time too, or I made fun of it, you know, Taylor, Taylor Twelman having the ultimate rights to this, this quote, but it's like, yeah, what are we doing? What the fuck are we doing when, when we allow that stuff to happen? Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I, I said, I was, I, I said I was feeling positive, but obviously with everything that I've said, it's all negative. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. I, 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 I hope things I hope things change. I hope things get better in the future. But I think the next uh, the, the coming the coming weeks, especially about what what happens, you know, post mortem with U.S. Soccer, how they how, how they come out and and try to rectify the situation. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know if they're going to come out and, and and say anything about Wiki. Um, I don't know if they're planning to promote somebody or hire somebody for the U20s. I don't know when that's supposed to happen, but I think those are the things that we should keep a very, very close eye on as a soccer nation because that's going to be very um, telling about, you know, what is actually happening inside that that decision-making room. Like, are we making decisions based on these performances, on actual performances, actual on-field shit, or is it just, are, are we just, you know, scratching each other's backs and holding hands? Yeah, and I think, I, I think it's important to, as you, as you said, as we keep a close eye on these uh, potential, you know, hires, people being brought in to fill the vacancies, we 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 can't be just impressed with a resume. You, you know, we need to see a body of work. And like we discussed earlier, it, you need to have an understanding of the landscape here to be 
to be able to do something well, I believe. Um, but yeah, we, we need to we need to see proof before we start, uh, you know, hyping somebody just because they have a good resume. As is an example with Wiki, people were impressed with his resume. Well, he came in. We see some of his work. Nothing to get excited about. So I think as you know, new people come in, we need to uh, we need to look at things realistically and uh, you know be able to criticize if that's what's needed. When it comes to body of work, it needs to be relevant work. Like, you know, there there was no, I mean, other than just it being soccer, the ball is round and he's a coach. Like there was no relevant work that Wiki did that made him ultra qualified for leading a team in this, in this fashion, right? Like with, um, with coaching first division champions league football, you're not, it, it, it's not a international tournament style. It's not, it's not that type of coaching. Like you're coaching a first team where you, where you have them, you know, over the, the course of a season, you know, week in, week out, day in, day out. And that's way different than coaching U-17s in the United States um, at, a, at an international level. It's, it's two completely different things. Um, so, yeah, like the, the, the work needs to be like like relevant body of work. And then the second thing that, that popped into my head when you were talking about that is – if we're lifting this guy up based on his resume, which is coaching a first team, senior team, um, in the Champions League, right? Why the fuck with somebody on that on that level? Why would they demote themselves to go coach a U seventeen team in the United States? If you're coaching at the pinnacle of the sport, which is you know the Champions League in Europe, why 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 would somebody then you know take a position as a U seventeen? Uh, national team coach that is that is massive steps backward on the on the totem pole when it comes to coaching you would you would assume so it leads me to believe why weren't other champions league teams going after this guy why wasn't he being promoted or or, or approached by teams in england or teams in germany or teams in spain um or or you know other first you know first teams you know professional teams where where he could you know do his work those, yeah, that's those, an that's an interesting question. Those are those are surely more enticing jobs than than coaching seventeen year old boys in the United States. I would assume. Right, right. Yeah, and the communication factor going from you know first team professional athletes uh, and adults, and then going to you know working with sixteen and seventeen year olds. The, there's a big difference in how you communicate with those players and how you get buy in from the players. Uh, with without necessary experience, it, that's hard to do. And you know, maybe maybe Wiki was trying to learn as he went along and wasn't quite sure how to do it. That that yeah, that's an interesting question, John. Yeah, I just I, I just don't see it working. Like like a lot of times, it's the opposite. Like you coach youth, you coach uh, whatever you, in the United States, especially club, and then you you continue to climb the ranks. Then you get yourself maybe involved in the national team youth setup and blah 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 blah. But always aiming for something higher, like Tab. You know, Tab. You know, did his did his time coaching in the youth national team program with the ultimate objective of coaching a first team, a men's first team. And, and okay, he got it. First team at Houston. He's going to get his chance, right? But you don't go backwards. You don't go from coaching in the Champions League to then coaching 16, 17-year-old boys. That seems so strange to me that, that, was, that, that, that that's the path. And I think it'd be, that, it'd, it'd be interesting to know how many times that has occurred, how many Champions League first-team managers have left that level and gone to the youth level. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean... My, it, Go ahead. My assumption would be that that's a that's a rare uh, occurrence. No, one one hundred percent. Because when I, even when I think about like when players end their careers, ex players like they jump in a lot of times coaching maybe the B team or you know the U nineteen team at, at a club that they once played for. Um, Victor Valdez being maybe like a recent example, or um, even even Fra- um, Frank Lampard, you know, coaching. Um, uh, you know, out not not with a, a Premier League team at first, but like going starting further down the ranks, and then you know building himself up to then coach in the coaching in the Premier League. Like I think that's the traditional path, and I don't, I can't think of any examples off the top of my head of people, you know, making it to the pinnacle of the sport and then 
you know, dropping themselves all the way back down to the youth level. You could maybe argue, you know, Bielsa in a way has, has kind of done that, but he's, but stayed at the senior, you know, men's level, um, you know, taking on different, different projects, but never, you know, demoting himself to coach back to coaching 16 year old boys. Right. That's, that just seems absurd. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what else is on your mind. We get, did we, did we not cover something that we needed to about this, you know, game or this tournament? I feel like I, I, I know I told you before before we started the call that I didn't necessarily want to focus on the game because there's there's bigger points that we needed to to touch on and I feel like we accomplished that but I don't know there's just there's so much I don't know if we got to everything. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking through my notes. I I think we basically went over we went over everything that I had written down. Um, no, you know, we, we want we want to see positives, but I think you know the state of things now. I I think, like you said earlier, it is opening eyes, and we're seeing patterns trending in the wrong direction. And I think you know we all need to continue to be educated as to what the what the issues are, and you know, speaking up, and hopefully soon things start trending upwards instead of downwards. Yeah, and if and and again, if people want more education, if if people want to see what's been going on in this country for you know the last ten years or so, three four three's been covering it. Gary Gary specifically has been covering it for ten years on the blog. I jumped in about four or five years ago with with podcasts, so all of those resources are available on three four three coaching dot com. Over two hundred written articles, over two hundred podcasts. So you can you can get a feel for for you know the temperature of of the last decade or so of American soccer, but just by taking a peek at that stuff and and all of it, most of it is still very relevant today, unfortunately. So let's see if we can make a turn for the better here in the next you know months or years. I think it's possible if uh, if people start to wake up and 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 look at the right things and question the right things and put pressure on the right people. Which uh, I guess I can maybe end my final thought with that is. Um, you know the the players. I don't think necessarily deserve a lot of the heat for this. I heard somebody else on a different podcast, you know, say that the the players deserved, you know, a lot of the blame, and I, I don't agree with that. I think the the blame should fall on Wiki and the people that hired Wiki and the people that are are you know selecting, uh, selecting the the people that are that are making these decisions for American soccer. I think those are the people that need to blame. And I think people need to wake up to that fact. And I think that that's where all the pressure should be put, not on the players. Um, yeah. The, the, the players are a product of the system, right? Yep. And we, we can't sit there and blame the players. You know, they, it's not, it's not their fault. They, they are a product of what's going on in the, in the current soccer system here in America. Yep. And, and it's the people that are, that are designing the system, enabling the system, propping the system up, um, manipulating the system that, that are the problem. And, and I think, uh, as you know, as much as I, I don't like some of the players and as much as, you know, I'll point out some of their flaws from, from time to time, I really don't think that they, that they deserve the heat. They're just, they're just players. And in this, in this case, yeah, they're just kids. Um, but, uh, but I, I do think that, you know, we can, we can take shots at Wiki. We can take shots at Ernie Stewart. We can take shots at Burhalter. We can take shots at the poor and, and these guys that are, are really responsible for um, the way that U S soccer is performing. I think they, they are the ones responsible. Yeah. I agree, man. All right. Nothing else. No, I think that's it for me. All right, cool. So if people want to jump in and, and give us their you, you know their thoughts or give us your thoughts, please join in and, and, and tell us how you feel. Uh, you They can reach you on Twitter at Casio underscore FG. That's at C-A-S-C-I-O underscore FG. And they can find me uh, at that Croatian guy. And uh, feel free to always jump in on the on the actual website 343coaching.com and you can hit the bo- uh, yeah you can hit the comment section on there and tell us how you feel um, all right that's it we will uh, we'll catch you guys next time we have well, let's see the upcoming I think uh, the next time we'll do this is going to be about the the men's national team we play Canada and Cuba again for Nations League in the next couple of weeks so we'll be back with uh, some reviews about that 
should be exciting. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 Podcast. If you are interested in accelerating your development as a coach and learning more about possession-based soccer, you can visit 343coaching.com and sign up for our premium coaching membership program. That is where you will get access to video, audio, and ebook lessons that will help you reduce your trial and error time by showing you the methods that have been proven to work in the American soccer environment. So once again, if you are an ambitious coach and you want to start learning the tried and true methods that have already been proven to work in the American soccer environment, you can visit 343coaching.com to learn more about our coaching programs. Once again, that is 343coaching.com. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast, and we will catch you next time.